be with you. And also with you. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Friends near and far, we welcome you to this Sunday service of ordered worship in the nave of Marsh Chapel, Boston University. The liturgy, homily, and music are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, for our New England radio audience through WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe live at WBUR.org. We encourage your written or emailed responses, your prayerful and material support, your selection of personal ministries, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us for worship. With joy today, we affirm two views of Christmas, the Christmas impulse for lasting good, and the Christmas promise that our distinctions need not be our downfall. Sing we now of Christmas. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, let us stand in the praise of God.
Almighty God, purify our conscience by your daily visitation, that your Son, Jesus Christ, at his coming, may find in us a mansion prepared for himself, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us be seated, and as we are seated, begin as a time of silent confession to bring our prayer to Almighty God. Let us pray. Behold the revelation of the mystery of the secret now disclosed to bring about the obedience of faith. The good news, if we confess our sin, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the second book of Samuel, chapter 7, verses 1 through 11. Now when the king was settled in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in the tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I, but I have been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built a house for me of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following, following the sheep to be prince of my people of Israel. And I have made, been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. 
and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make a house you a house. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure for forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. The word of the Lord. Let us now say responsively verses from Psalm 89.
will sing of your steadfast love, O Lord, forever. With my mouth I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations. I declare that your steadfast love is established forever. Your faithfulness is as firm as the heavens. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to my servant David. I will establish your descendants forever and build your throne for all generations. Then you spoke in a vision to your faithful one and said, I have set the crown on one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found my servant David. With my holy oil, I have anointed him. My hand shall always remain with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and steadfast love shall be with him. And in my name his horn shall be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. From Jesse's wood, a branch shall grow, God's covenant shall be fulfilled. And now stand as we are able for the Gloria and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Glory to you, O Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? 
The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. two views of Christmas, two ways to sing the Christmas gospel, and Christmas is a sung gospel, a sung psalter, a sung liturgy, a sung word of grace. There are two perspectives upon Christmas by which we may view today's 
gospel lesson. We may look at and toward Christmas by looking down, down to depth, down to ground, down to root, down to past. We may look up, up to height, up to horizon, up to blossom, all to the future. Both are blessed, both are glad tidings of great joy. First, we sing the Christmas gospel from memory, whether from the day of Herod the king or from the first day, which is for the rest of life, this morning itself. Just a few days ago, a friend of mine and I went to the Hattie Cooper mission in near Roxbury on a nicer day, though it would be a long walk, you could walk from Marsh Chapel there. More than a hundred years ago, a minister's wife in that neighborhood began a mission to needy children in a tough neighborhood. And we went and we were greeted by four-year-olds who had been made conscripts to music for visitors and they stood to sing and we sat in little kindergarten chairs. They gave us name tags with a star. You remember how important it is to have a star. And they sang one and another. They concluded with, he's got the whole world in his hands. Do you know how many verses there are to that song? There are 200 and we heard them all. And I listened as each concluded as a a sparkling young man in the back row would lean forward. The choir master didn't hear him at all, but he was saying something. And with each verse, he said the same thing, so I couldn't quite make it out. You know, he's got everybody, brother and sister, sun and moon, wind and rain. But after each one, curling his hands in a cradle, the boy would say, what about the itty bitty baby? And the song ended and the music was over and he stammered prophetically and said, what about the itty bitty baby? So we sang verse 201. He's got the itty bitty baby in his hand. We sang as he did from memory. This is our mother tongue. It is the language in which we have been formed. We have been raised and we have been grown. It is the language of memory. It's so important to enact and reenact come Christmas this gospel memory as we do. You know, not many nights ago now they've all gone off to their own homes, but a dozen undergraduates gathered to trim this tree before you in the chapel. Isn't it beautiful? It is. They came, one from Southern California, one from Minnesota, one from Texas, one from New York, one from Florida, one from Pennsylvania and others, and they stepped through the depth, ground, root, memory of Christmas. There is a way to sing the Christmas gospel from memory. There is a depth to Christmas. Christmas is the explosive impulse of lasting good. And that's what we remember. It's important. It's saving for us so to remember. Because a deep recession is not as deep as the Christmas impulse for a lasting good. A deeply searing swindle is not as deep as the Christmas impulse for a lasting good. 
A deeply mistaken warfare is not as deep as the Christmas impulse for a lasting good and the anxious, dark, deep worry over disemployment, unemployment, reemployment is not ever finally erasingly as deep as the Christmas impulse for a lasting good. We remember, we know, we look down in this sense, looking down past into the long forgotten years. We know that hearing our gospel, Paul himself, our earliest record in the Christian scriptures, has no mention of the miraculous birth in all of his letters. He mentions it not simply. He says, born of woman, born under the law. Our earliest gospel, Mark, has no record of any of this which we've heard before. Matthew and Luke themselves, where they share material, have no record of such. It's only other than the reading today, Matthew 118 that records the miraculous supernatural and there Matthew is providing an exegesis as you know of Isaiah 7:14 a virgin shall conceive and bear a child and his name shall be called Emmanuel and whether Matthew's interest was more historical theological or exegetical we shan't know but Luke's interest strange to our ears is other than first we might think in our time, we hear these words thus. We wonder about the supernatural entering the natural. We wonder about God entering a womb. We wonder about the divine entering the human. And while Luke, with his time, there are multiple accounts of such births in the ancient world, had that as an interest, his core focus is otherwise. For Luke, the question is not Jesus' divinity. That's our question. For Luke, the question is Jesus' humanity. And here, and particularly in the passages that will come, Luke's interest is in making sure to secure Jesus born of Mary. Jesus is our childhood's measure. Jesus is our childhood's measure. Day by day, like us, he grew. He was little, weak, and helpless. Tears and smiles, like us, he knew. And he feeleth for our sadness, and he shareth in our gladness. That's Luke's interest in the humanity of Jesus. And absent a suddenly discovered first century hospital report of a portentous birth, we have no way of knowing what may or may not have happened. And that's not Luke's point anyway. This account, like the resurrection itself, is a call to faith, not a proof of faith. It is invitation, not documentation. It is an invitation for you, for us, to live daily with the sure faith that in every situation there is present a Christmas impulse for a lasting good. You salt, you light, you live it. Here you are, and here you are listening from afar. You know, you might say along with me that the lastingly good things in life have all been the gifts of grace of God in the person of, of Jesus Christ. I make this testimonial. Name given in baptism. Faith, faith is always a gift. 
given in confirmation, community in Eucharist, friendship, partnership, deep love in marriage, vocation, employment in ordination, pardon needed by day and by decade in forgiveness, such a living sacrament, and especially hope for this life and for the next, all given. This is Christmas sung from memory in which we are grounded, in which we find the ground of our being, in which salvation is ground out in fear and trembling. And yet, you may sense, as I do, that this passage is not completed with the past and memory. Yes, all of the aforementioned is true, but isn't there something further? There are two ways to view this passage. There are two perspectives on Christmas, one from the past and the ground and the root and depth, and another out of the future, out of the height, out of the horizon of all that is yet to be. I ask you this. What if the language of Christmas is not that which already we have learned our mother tongue? What if Christmas is the language into which we are leaning, the tongue we are only lisping? What if we stand not atop Christmas, but beneath Christmas? What if we are stretching like you stretched toward that garret door in your grandmother's ceiling that you always wanted to enter? What if we are like a toddler learning for the first time, as a toddler does, the first words, moon, boat, no, boat, moon, boat, no. What if that's where we are at Christmas, reaching up to say something that we just, we don't know yet the grammar, the syntax, the spelling, the language? Several nights ago, I heard, speaking of angelic voices, the elementary choir of the Learning Project Elementary School singing winter songs of love and acceptance in the Emmanuel First Baptist Church on Commonwealth Avenue. The plaque to my right was of Obadiah Holmes in the 1600s. You uh, may not remember Obadiah, but his plaque says he was whipped in the city of Boston. His crime? Baptist beliefs. And as I looked at his plaque and heard the music, I wondered whether 400 Christmases ago or so, there were a woman or a man or more than one wondering about a day when distinctions in Protestant doctrine would not be whipping crimes in Boston. And I wondered, looking 400 years ahead, or maybe it's 40, could it be four? when there might come a day when distinctions in religious doctrine would not be causes for terror the world over because of the itty-bitty baby. This is the hope of peace on earth, not in spite of the scandal of particularity of Jesus Christ, not in spite of his 
particular story, his poor birth, his teaching and healing, his rude death, his wondrous resurrection, not in spite of, but because of. This is God's way in the world. Christmas is the simple restatement of what is. Not what could be or should be or might be or would be if we'd work it through, but simply, by God, what is. Our students at Boston University gave us a religious experience of the Christmas gospel some days ago. Gave me such. I don't know what the rule book says about middle-aged preachers and whether or not one in such a condition is still uh, open to and able to have such a religious experience. I hope I qualify because, in fact, it did happen. And it happened here in this beautiful nave in the dark of a Friday evening. You know, uh, middle age, the age of failing eyesight and receding hairline and uh, scattergun memory and uh, hardening arteries and opinions is just the season in which one should ought might possibly have such an experience, and it came in the least likely of seasons. This was just following the Mumbai tragedy. Earlier that week, two of our Jewish community communities had gathered together for a serene and reverent memorial on the plaza. And then some nights later, we received a call. Could 16 South Asian student groups gather together on Friday at 6.30 p.m. similarly to remember, similarly to pray? Would the dean greet them? In we came on that dark night. I mentioned Lincoln here in our window and his words. The dogmas of the quiet past are inadequate to the stormy present, the occasion is piled high with difficulty, and we must rise, now hear that, rise, look up, a new language. We must rise with the occasion. Our situation is new, and so our action and speech must be new as well. We must dis disenthrall ourselves from what has been, and so we will save our, he said, country, I said, world. And then, having greeted, I took a seat in the back pew. I like sitting in the pew. That has a future. I'm looking forward to that. And darkness fell. The service began at 6.45 and ended at 7.03. 18 minutes. Silence prayer. Silence speech. Silence candles. Silence singing. Silence standing silence. Hindu. Jain, Sikh, Muslim. And one said, the leader of the Islamic society said, it is up to us. We must stand and be counted as those who will not countenance this kind of violence or we shall lose our humanity. And then standing silence and then 16 candles lit, one for each group. And then something about 320-year-olds reverent in the quiet dark. It is a young world singing 
a new song, the Christmas promise that our distinctions need not be our downfall, that our distinctions need not be our downfall. And by the end of those few 18 minutes, though they were lastingly eternal, I was overcome. There were four speakers. They spoke for three minutes, not each. Their total was three minutes. There was an Indian national hymn at the end. And what was it that overcame? Had there been an altar call, I would have come forward. And in a way, there was. What was it? The dark dusk facing a darker mystery? The portent of courage in young voices? The barely visible admiration of Jesus and his gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, looking down in admiration of what was being said? The fact that this chapel was being used precisely, exactly, as its founders intended, as a place where distinction does not become downfall, but common ground, common faith, common hope withstand all. The capacity to hear a new song, given and received, all in the eternal brevity of 18 minutes. There are two ways to view the Christmas gospel, both glad and both good, to look down and look back at depth and ground and root, to look up and look out at an open, unforeseen future where our distinctions need not be, our differences. It was the music of the duet Daniel Marsh and Howard Thurman sang together 50 years ago, both of them already a hundred years ahead of their time, we're 50 years behind them still. When the song of the angels is stilled and the star in the sky is gone and the kings and princes are home and the shepherds are back with their flocks, then the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the sick, to visit the stranger, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among brothers, to make music in the heart. Sing we now of Christmas.
As we are called to prayer through the singing of Lead Me, Lord, I invite you to pray as you are so moved to best support the prayers of this community. Please feel free to come to the altar rail, to stand in your place, to raise your hands, to respond in your first language. However, you and the Spirit of God are moving together to pray with us in this place and time. I will set the intention, if you would please respond, God in your grace, hear our prayer, with amen at the end. Dearly beloved, let us pray. You who are one, you who are three, one God in perfect community, we give you thanks for this time with you and with one another to raise up the deeps of our hearts. So in this place and time as your community, we pray for the church and for the world. We pray for all who confess your name, for our unity in your truth, for our life together in your love, and for our revelation of your glory in the world. God, in your grace, hear our prayer. We pray for the people of this land and for all the nations, for the ways of justice and peace amongst us, for our honoring of one another, and for our service to our common wealth and common good. God, in your grace, hear our prayer. We pray for the earth as your own creation, for our reverence for its diversity and beauty, for our right use of its resources in service to others and to your honor and glory. God, in your grace, hear our prayer. We pray for all whose lives are closely linked with ours, for our service to Christ in them, and for our love for one another as Christ loves us. God, in your grace, hear our prayer. We pray for all who face particular challenges of body, mind, spirit, remembering especially this day those for whom this season is more a challenge than a celebration, 
or those who are caught up in economic and social forces beyond their control, for those who are physically ill, for those who are trafficked and enslaved, for those caught up in greed and consumerism, for those who are in despair. We pray for their comfort, healing, courage, and hope, for our standing with them in the common and extraordinary challenges of life, and for the joy of your salvation for us all. God, in your grace, hear our prayer. We pray for those who have died, with thanksgiving for their life and work amongst us, for their family and friends, for your will fulfilled in them, and for our sharing with all your saints in the life to come. God, in your grace, hear our prayer. We pray for the joys and celebrations of our human life, our power and agency, our freedom to choose the good, the love of our family and friends, the satisfaction of our work, the milestones that mark our journey. In this Advent season of expectation and hope, we pray for our rest and peace as you hold us in your hands, in the love and power of your incarnation in that little bitty baby who was crucified, died, and rose again for us, and for the enlivening life of your Holy Spirit amongst us. God, in your grace, hear our prayer. We pray in all these things that your will is done. In the name of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, let us all say, Amen. And now as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. And also with you. We greet you again this morning, invite you to put your name and contact information in the red book at the end of your preview, our ritual of friendship, so that we might get to know one another better. We would note that on Wednesday, December 24th, it is Christmas Eve, and we do have our annual 11 p.m. Christmas Eve candlelight service here in the nave of Marsh Chapel. We hope you can join us as you're able. Uh, you may have noticed there are a few fewer of us this week. Many of the students have gone home for the winter break. Uh, while most of our activities during the week are on hiatus until the beginning of next term, we are here every Sunday morning during the winter intercession, and we hope you can join us on Sunday mornings. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God. within us, the fellowship among us, and thy love that surrounds us, we offer our thanks. Bless these gifts and the givers, we pray in Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. 
identify yourself as a member of the chapter simply by signing so on Sunday morning. That suffices for us. You may do so by signing the guest book. That suffices for us. You may do so by connecting by email or phone with one of us. That too suffices. We also make provision at Easter and now beginning this year, once in the fall, here at Christmas, for those who would like to come in in formal membership. And there's a long United Methodist Book of Discipline history to this that I happily leave aside. We are delighted to welcome Jennifer Quigley into membership. I can't begin to tell you what an addition already she is here. If there are others today who would like to signify publicly their identification with the chapter and chapel, you're more than welcome to come forward. We've invited her uh, husband, or her, her uh, fiance, that is, Soren, who they will be married in May, to come forward. And we have another, and we're welcome, we welcome you to come if you would like. I'm going to invite the congregation to turn in the front of the hymnal to page 35. And I'm going to invite you to prayer and then to a word of affirmation and, um, and then uh, words of invitation. Beloved, do you as Christ's body, the church, reaffirm both your rejection of sin and your commitment to Christ? We do. Will you nurture one another in the Christian faith and life and include Jennifer now before you and all before you in your care? We will, we will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We will surround these persons with the community of love and forgiveness, that they may grow in their trust in God and be found faithful in their service to others. We will pray for them that they may be true disciples who walk in the way of let us join together in professing the Christian faith as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. Do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He descended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And now at page 38. Jennifer Quigley and Barbara McCauley are before you. I encourage you following worship to take a moment and introduce yourselves to them so that they learn at least one new name every week, beginning this week with yours, whoever you may be. Jennifer, Barbara, as members of this congregation, will you faithfully participate in its ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service? And Jennifer, as a member of Christ's Universal Church, will you be loyal to the United Methodist Church and do all in your power to strengthen its ministry? Members of the household of God, I commend these persons to your love and care. Do all in your power to increase their faith, confirm their hope, and perfect them in love. Together, 
We give thanks for all that God has already given you, and we welcome you in Christian love. As members together with you in the body of Christ and in this congregation of the United Methodist Church, we renew our covenant faithfully to participate in the ministries of the Church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, and our service, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. A word of benediction and then the sung benediction. The God of all grace who has called us to eternal glory in Christ establish you and strengthen you by the power of the Holy Spirit that you may live in grace and peace.